Elliot, you have represented one of the most, I think, unique careers and professions and transformations publicly that I've really ever seen and I think has been really rarely seen through the internet. You've documented and shared your your rise and transformations of yourself over the last 10, 20 years very publicly. And I noticed you shared that video documentary of that gentleman who made that, you know, hour-long documentary about yourself. When you watch that and when you actually zoom out and reflect on the last 10 to 20 years of Elliot Hulse, what do you think and feel? Well, I smiled the whole time I watched it. I thought it was fascinating to see myself from that perspective. Yeah. I like to think that I'm not much different than most people. I think the only difference between me and most people is number one, I have the courage to just be me. And I do it on a public platform. <laughs> I'm me and everybody can see. I think part of the reason why I attract quite a sizable audience is because most people see a part of themselves in me. Hmm. They see me and they're like, I, there's a part of me that's like that too. And so in a way, I am you and you are me. And what about when you hear people like them or people say in general, your audience, your fans, whatever you want to call them, um, people who feel like they kind of done with you, like you've heard that before, but at the same time, how do you like reconcile a loyalty for your audience if you have one and then a loyalty for yourself to do what you're going to do regardless of whether you're likable or agreed upon? Well, <laughs> I'm no different than I was when I was in first grade. My mother tells me a story about my first grade teacher uh, complaining that your son just does whatever he wants. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spontaneous. And it's not that I have a disregard for others. Well, my loyalty is to God first. And then I don't, I don't, I never felt like I owed my audience anything. You know, it's <laughs> in a way it's their pleasure just to watch me. And I don't say that out of a sense of arrogance, I say it like, hey, look, there's a screen on and who, here's who I am. And um, you can, I, I'm not, I don't depend on their attention. You know, there was a trap, there's a trap there where my income became dependent on my audience. But as soon as I recognized that trap, I resented it. That's part of the reason why I disappeared from, from the internet, because I recognized that there's a little bit too much of a, a codependency going on. And I wanted to create that separation. Did you ever have moments when you felt emotionally dependent? I mean, on the influence, fame, notoriety that you had garnered? Yes, I was addicted to it. I was very influenced by it. And that's when I recognized that it was a trap, <laughs> that I trapped myself. And when I, I, I wanted to be me, I recognized that I couldn't just be me without 
losing favor with people. And I, I enjoyed that favor. I, there was a time, even in that kid's documentary, he said, Elliot could do no wrong. There was a time when, you know, short lived because I was being pleasing to everyone. And um, it's pleasing to be pleasing. It's nice to be liked. Uh, but at the same time, that's a trap too. And I never wanted to, I never wanted to catch myself in that trap. You know, I think of like, I live in Florida, I live in Tampa Bay. So we got uh, a lot of, a lot of pro wrestlers here. Uh, Hulk Hogan lives here. And um, well, even he changed, but you know, well into his old age, he had to continue playing the same character. Wherever he goes, like he's going to be Hulk Hogan, no matter what. And people are going to ask him to do that Hulk Hogan thing yeah. and to say that Hulk Hogan thing. And to me, that that seemed like slavery. That seemed like slavery to a, a, a to an ego, you know, a, 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 a formation of self, a crystallation of self. And I, I didn't I didn't want to be trapped in that. And, you know, even if you look at like guys like Hulk Hogan, you know, because I kind of I brought that up, but I almost like hesitated when I said it, even like. Of course, they're characters and they're on the, you know, they're on the scene. If you notice, like pro wrestlers in general, like, I'm not in a big pro wrestling, pro wrestling fan, but if you look, all these guys, they, they start out as good guys and then they turn into bad guys. All, all heroes eventually turn into villains. <laughs> and I think that's a, I think that's a, that's a natural pattern for all men anyway. When you are young, you carry the burden, uh, you know, like, Nietzsche says in the speak Zarathustra, he talks about being a beast of burden in your first, you know, first years of life, where you're basically carrying this need for approval. We learn it from our school teachers. We learn it from our parents. Uh, but there comes a point in, in every man's life, if he allows himself, where he no longer looks to the world for his approval. How do you make that transition? How does one make that transition from seeking approval from others instead of seeking approval from others into the transition maybe you have made or maybe not even taking you out of it, just not being reliant on the external? How do you make that transition? You got to be willing to be hated. You gotta be willing to die. Those are two things that you know we don't want to face. Uh, nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be disliked. We're not. We're not. We're not designed that way. But in this world where alliances are fickle, alliances are fake. Most of our alliances are fake. It's not like when we were living in tribal society, and you lost the trust of the men next to you, that you could be you know uh, thrown out of the tribe or you know. You, you you depending on those people for your survival. So you gotta be willing to you gotta be willing to to make enemies. You gotta be willing to to be disliked. And then also being willing to die, right? Like because life is dynamic and ego. Ego is a construct that uh that allows us to interface with the world, allows the soul to interface with the world. If you got a body, you got an ego. But the world is dynamic and changing and the soul is dynamic and changing. And so that interface has to change also. And the ego doesn't want to die. The ego wants to stay. Uh, it's comfortable 
for others and it's comfortable for 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 the soul for the ego to remain and so you have to have really courage if i had to name a just a, a supernatural gift that i was given it's uh it's confidence and courage and so you know i was the guy when i played football that would run down field and slam my head fed, head face i'll go face first into people i'm just a little uh I'm a little, how you would say, like, I'm wild. <laughs> I'm a wild man, and I'm willing to. I'm willing to like self-destruct. I'm willing to. I'm willing to die for something. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, to be a martyr is, of course, to to die for some, to die for a cause. That's something higher than you die for God. But to be a martyr is also to is to die to the old man, to the old self, and to be born again. I want to dig into that, but before I do. You know, you call yourself a wild man, but that what you're saying, you need it underpins courage. Like you said, you need courage, and it's something you pointed out that maybe you were gifted with in some ways. If you had to write a program like a strength and conditioning program to develop courage, how would you implement strategies to grow the muscle of courage in men and women? So I, I I like the word confidence also, yeah, and I could dig into too. courage, and maybe I will. But confidence, one is of the spirit, one's of the heart. Courage is of the heart. Confidence is of spirit. Confidence, you know, the word con means with. You know, in Spanish they say like you know arroz con pollo con. So it's if it's with. Confidence is with fidelity. That's what the word means. Fidelity is where we get the word faith. And so a part of you has to be able to, to, to have confidence means you have to have faith and faith requires that you don't have knowledge. You, you can't, you can't know what's going to happen, but still be able to do it. Somebody with confidence doesn't know what's going to happen. They don't always know what's going to happen, but they have faith in the process and they'll just go ahead and do it. Courage means is a little confidence. I think is, is, is a higher in courage where it's more spiritual, it's more existential, it's more reliance on the supernatural. Courage is reliance on the heart. The word courage, C-O-R, is where we get uh, like uh, the heart. It comes from the heart, core, like uh, corazón in Spanish, or uh, coronary, you know, coronary heart disease. Courage, courage is of the heart. And the heart, the heart is, the heart is, is kind of like the wild man within. The heart is like, it may not be right. It may not be, it may not be right. It could be wrong, <laughs> but you go anyway. So courage and confidence, you know, those are, those, those are, those are required for transcendence, man. When, how did you, or when was the last time you had this ego death rebirth kind of, um, cause you've had many throughout your life. We all do. When was the last time? Can you take us back when you had that moment of transformation? Well, I mean, you're looking at it right now, you know. I'm, you think you're <laughs> in it still? I don't think it's ever going to stop. Okay, so you think it's a constant process? Yeah, it's a constant process. I have some stubborn parts. I have some parts that stick. I have some parts that are that are that are uh, 
that are that are tough to break. You know, I got my own attachments and sins. But at the same time, I have a pretty malleable ego. Uh, I can I can theorize as to why I have that. You know, I grew up in America. My parents are from Belize. I am I can't even say I'm biracial. I'm like multiracial. And so as a result, you know, as a kid growing up in a black and white world, New York City, uh, people will know who you are. What are you? Mm. You know, what are you? And in a way, on a sense of self, because I could I could hang with the white kids. I hung out mostly with white kids, but then I could be with the black kids. I was a black kid. And then most of the time people thought I was Puerto Rican. <laughs> Only thing is I couldn't speak Spanish. All the Puerto Rican girls liked me, but they couldn't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it never allowed, and I, this is just me theorizing. I really don't know. I just think back in retrospect and I kind of gather that like I never, I was never settled into any identity. You know, it's a little schizophrenic, I guess you could say, but at the same time, it freed me up not to be attached to any any version of me. You know, I could be this today, I can be that tomorrow. And I used to judge myself for it, uh, but I don't anymore. I just allow myself to be. When you were a kid, when you were a child, teenager, do you think you had a little bit of that in you, allowing yourself to be, or is that something you've really had to train yourself and just learn through the fire of life because i think a lot of people struggle with just b well when I, <laughs> that's a loaded that's a loaded word to be right and to be means to have no judgment if we're doing anything but allowing ourselves to be we're trying to play god that means we have judgments we have evaluations about various things that hasn't always been easy for me you know uh, I've always tried to figure myself out. And that means I was curious. Mm. And so I've read a lot of things. I'm also, you know, as a curious person with, with a malleable ego, <laughs> that, can, uh, that, can, that, can, that can lead you down some wrong paths. And I've been, I look back at various versions of myself and I realized I was wrong. I don't regret it because I'm like, hey, it's a journey. But at the same time, I recognize that um, even allowing myself to be, I could be wrong. <laughs> you know, so as far as like practicing that is concerned, I think it just comes natural to me. It's just a, it's a curiosity and it's a, and I think what is natural to all men is this, we want to be more, you know, we want more, you know, we, we, we're looking for a satisfaction in something, right? This is why, men, and men are driven that way. That's why we look for sex. You know, we, the energy rises in man and we look for a place to, to ejaculate, right? To project our energy. So what we're really looking for is freedom. And so uh, where I'm at right now is I'm, I'm far more free than I was before because I was trying to be something or trying to find something. And I don't really do that anymore. I don't, I don't really, I don't seek that much anymore. I'm not trying to be anything anymore. I'm just allowing myself and just watching it like watch I watch myself like a TV show sometimes. That's why I smiled when I watched that kid's documentary. It was like I was watching a TV show. I was like, wow, what a wow, what a crazy thing. What's going on there? Wow. And that guy, I, all I could think, you know, is wow, that's a crazy guy. <laughs> so I watch myself sometimes and I just my my wife has gotten used to it, but sometimes we'll just be like sitting, eating, or you know, doing something, and I'll start giggling. 
<laughs> and she's like, she doesn't even ask anymore. She's like, you're laughing at yourself, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just laughing at myself. I'm a crazy guy. What a weirdo. <laughs> but you got to be able to, right? Like so often we take ourselves too, well, I don't know if it's too seriously or so seriously because the constant progression and growth that, you know, we try and go on. Um, I wonder how do you reconcile and balance the, if there is a balance for you, this assertive work ethic to constantly pursue excellence that a man has versus the other side of just experiencing the pure pleasures and joys of life. The balance between assertive, aggressive work ethic and joy. How do you intertwine the both in your life? Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson says, uh, every action is measured by the sentiment from which it proceeds. And most of the work ethic in my, in my case, and I would, I would dare to say the majority of men is out of fear. You know, we're, we're, we're fear, we fear among many things, we fear that we're nobody. That's just that it, to, uh, especially in a culture where we're taught to worship ourselves as our own gods, we have to show that we are something. There's no, there's no legitimate stomping ground for self uh, realization in our world, right? We don't have initiation rites any longer. Religion has been relegated to fairy tale. Um, so what we do is we try to force us, force ourselves into the world and try to fit into the world by what? By material means, how much money I have, uh, how many girls I have, what kind of clothes I have, where I live, how smart I sound, how many degrees I have. But all those things are dust. All those things, you can, you can break your face getting all those things and, and ultimately at the end of life have no satisfaction whatsoever. So a part of you know, transcending that is doing something that we don't do in our culture any longer. Uh, one of the things we've relegated also is death. There was a time when we stored, we, we, we stared death in its face. We, we, we would kill the own, our own animal. You know, if you can eat something, you got to kill it. Uh, when somebody died, they would be in the house. They'd be right in the house in the same bed that they laid in every night. And then they, they would bury them right in the backyard. Death was, death was present in our lives. And as, as a result, we recognize the futility of much of what we take for granted, you know, in, in our YOLO culture. And that means that we got to consider the afterlife. We got to consider uh, the state of our soul and not, and not work so hard to satisfy creature comforts and fleeting pleasures, but work on the sanctification of our souls, character development, you know, being, being, being the, being the best we were called to be in the, eye, in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man. How do you practice and think about the rituals of death now? Do you have any that you have thought about implementing 
around when family, friends, and close loved ones pass and get sick? How have you, because you've always gone your own way and your own path, especially now more than ever. Are you thinking about, and how would you think about people create, creating death rituals for themselves and their family? Well, I don't know. I don't know about death rituals, but a constant reminder that you're going to die. Okay. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You could die tonight. <laughs> right. That's, that sounds so morbid. Well, it is morbid. It sounds so bad because, you know, in the world that, uh, that has us believe that the, the flesh is Lord and savior and everything is, uh, Everything that we worship is here. It's in the material world. We worship our government. We worship our leaders. We worship uh, Hollywood stars. We worship sports players. We worship money. We, wo we worship things. So the world in its fallen state convinces us that this is all there is and don't, and don't think about death. Mm. Death is not, death, death is like some far off thing, but that's not true. <laughs> death is always knocking at the door. When you look at like, for example, if you ever seen, I used to just like watch cartoons when I was a kid and they would, they would like, they would play Shakespeare. I don't remember where I seen this, but like you would see like a poet, like a Shakespeare or something. And he'd be like contemplating his, his artwork whilst holding a skull. Like he'd be looking at a skull. And I know that like, you know, a lot of medieval writers and you know, wise men would have like a skull on the desk while they were doing their work. Uh, this guy, uh, um, he wrote a book, uh, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. He, he, write, he writes a lot of books about like ego and stuff like that. He yeah. sent me a, uh, he sent me this little, uh, Memento Mori. A dime. Yeah. This little coin that says Memento Mori. Yeah. Basically, you know, you could die at any moment. It yes. says, you know, he says, keep that in your pocket with, when, when we, when we have death, at our door, two things are missing in our society, death at our door, recognizing that we're gonna die and the consideration of the afterlife. The, the secular world has taught us that we're just nothing but uh, smart monkeys and flesh and bones with, with, with dicks. So, you know, you know you're gonna die. You, what's gonna happen when you die? Oh, you're just gonna get eaten by worms. Yeah, one part of you, the lowest part of you will be eaten by worms, but you have a soul A, there's a there's a spiritual reality to man and whether or not science can prove it or whether or not you believe it even it's a resourceful idea it's a good idea right like if we were just going to consider it as a tool like all right you know maybe maybe it's not true i don't know i believe it's true but you don't have to believe it's true but you have to acknowledge it's a good idea because why it's going to teach you to live life with respect for life mm. it's going to teach you to live in a way that when you pass away, when you die, you take with you, you carry with you the burden of all of your darkness, all the things you didn't resolve, all the screwed up things that you did, all the things you didn't do. You know, Christians believe that there's, that there's a judgment. And then at that judgment, Jesus is gonna show you your life. And you, he's gonna point out every moment, like, look, See where you screwed up there, and you're gonna you're gonna feel it. You're gonna feel it because you're like, ah, man, I knew better, or I was tricked. You're gonna realize where Satan tricked you every 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 step of the way. 
you're going to be able to reflect on that. Like, oh man, I was tricked there. Oh man, I, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, you did know, but you, you believed, you believed the Lord of this world, of, of, of the flesh world. You believe, you believe Satan. And so uh, all the things you could have done, you know, and when I say this, you know, a lot of people, because we live in a world that worships the flesh, they, when I say, you know, all the things you could have done, they think, oh, I could have been more famous or I could have had more money or I could have had a better wife. You know, they think of all these various carnal things, but that's not even what God's looking at. He's saying like, no, look at the state of your soul. You could have been more purified. You could have been more sanctified. You could have been a better version of yourself. And that doesn't mean a softer, weaker, uh, more passive version of yourself. Really, the what, you're, what we're lacking in that, in that way is the magnification of the true radiance of our, of our soul. But we get distracted. The world teaches us, you know, to not to hear ourselves, to see ourselves and to, and to chase after a bunch of uh, dust. Well, what I like is that it's a push away from the material. And you've also added a justification um, utility for, you know, an afterlife. Like, how can that actually serve us? Why could that be an important thought operating system? Like, that's a, I think, I appreciate you digging into that. But to move on, on rather go back on something you said, initiation rights, you know, something that you have talked about and a lot, you know, this culture and society is missing the, a lot of the roots of our old rites of passage of our ancestors. And I wonder, I know you do it in your grounding camp, but how do you practice grow? You know, you, you have young uh, girls and a young boy, like this big family of yours. How do you integrate rites of passage and initiation into your family personally? I don't know how. I really don't know how. You know, every initiation that is not supported by the community at large is a pseudo initiation. So you think you'd be doing you... a pseudo initiation if you did it just by yourself? Yeah, it, it has to be recognized by the greater by the by the greater community, like hmm. all of the community, like everybody in your world has to recognize. Here's what happened when there was an initiation, a ritual initiation for a young man. Uh, back when I guess times were different, uh, the young man will be pulled out of his home. Namely, there's a separation from the mother. That's the key. The key pattern to initiation is a separation from the world of the mother and atonement into the world of the father. And so one of the aspects of that is to literally be stripped out of your mama's arms. You know, a lot of times the boy, he's showing himself to be acting up, you know, testosterone's rising. He thinks he's, he thinks he's some special shit. So the older men who all receive the same initiation, they, they come together and they snatch him out of his mom's arms. And here's the thing, the mother will kick and scream and say, oh, don't take my boy. And, you know, and the boy will be screaming for his mommy and whatnot. But the mother knows exactly what's going on. The mother's in on it also because she would recognize. See, we have a we live in a situation where, you know, all these single mothers raising boys. The the women recognized back then that they needed the men to break this boy of his bond to his mother, to the world of material, to his sensuality, to his to his immaturity, and be introduced into what it is to be a man. Otherwise, he'll be no good to the society. He'll be he'll be useless to the society. Um, but when he would come back, this he would come back as a sometimes with a different look, you know. Maybe they would 
you know, tattoo him or shave his head or do something like that. A new look and a new name. And the, the his mother and the women and, you know, the people in society, they would feign like they don't recognize him. Like, who is this? Who is this man? Who is this new man that's come here? And he would no longer be allowed to refer to any of his behaviors or his attitudes or the ideas that he harbored when he was young. He would, be, he would forever be held to that new high standard because everybody knew, everybody knew that he was new. You do that here in our society, nobody knows, nobody cares. In fact, they probably think you're weird, you know? So the, the whole breaking away from the world of the mother material uh, can be, in its pseudo initiation way, can be, uh, can be executed by challenge, austerity, you know, doing something tough. I see weight training, you know, I got, I became initiated, quote unquote, initiated by my uncle in, with barbells. You know, I, I was, I was subjugated. I was subject to a discipline. I was subject to struggles and to challenge. And as a result, I built muscle, my hormones were, were bouncing off the wall and jacking up. I became something new. Now, nobody, Nobody recognized that as an initiation. I can say that in retrospect, but it, it literally it 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 removed me from you know the weakness of eating junk food and being lazy, and introduced me to a, a, an austerity, you know, a challenge, something that you need to do. So there's there's that there's that aspect of it. But then what we're also missing is meaning. The reason why the boy would be able to come back and carry himself differently. He might look differently. You know, he may have gone through some austerity, some challenges, but what would really change him is his sense of meaning, his sense of meaning. And that sense of meaning would come with a responsibility to the father, the fathers, the ancestors, and to God the father. And in that he recognized that he has a new authority in his life, but he also has a new responsibility in his life and he could never go back on that. That's, you know, we only get that if somebody teaches us that and really lives that and shows us that and, and holds us to that standard, which is very rare. Who's going to do that? Your school teachers, you know? Well, Elliot House or a father or mother can, I guess they can do that in their own way. How are you trying to, is that something you are attempting to be, to instill, especially in your son? How are you doing that? Well, he's still very young. Okay. You know, he's not even 10 years old yet. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure. Meaning is something that's ever present. You know, I think it's important to have religion. And I teach my children about religion. We go to church and I give them that sense of meaning, that sense of there is a, there is a supernatural that you are responsible to and that the, the whims of the world aren't conducive to the right way of life. And, you know, here's the thing. I had to figure that shit out the hard way on my own. And my, my children know that I'm fallen and I'm, and here's the thing too, I'm by myself. So I'm, you know, I'm laying out all these complaints 
and I'm I, I'm not giving you a good answer because I really don't know the right answer. I'm going to do the best that I can. Mm. But there's also you against the world, right? If there's no community, right, uh, then it's you against Hollywood. It's you against Netflix. It's you against YouTube. It's you against the video games. It's you against porn. It's you against drugs. It's you against all the girls out there. They're, they're going to be seductive. Um, and for my girls, you know, to, the, the, the pressure to be seductive. So I have to constantly drop swords all day long. I'm dropping swords. I'm having to point out, look, that's not good. That's not my daughters. They, they hate it because every two minutes I'm, it seems like I'm criticizing, but I'm like, that's not good. Just because Cardi B is doing it does not mean it's good. It's good. So the best that I can do, you know, besides just spitting, spitting what I know, just speaking my knowledge and speaking my wisdom is to be a living example. And like I said, I'm a fallen man. So they, and they've seen me fall. They see my, they've seen my, my whole life is on YouTube. My kids have seen how crazy I can be. They've seen mistakes I've made. They've heard things that I've said. It's all out there for them. And so I guess they can, they get, they need to see the change. They do see the change in me. Even though I'm a 41 year old man, you know, my initiations, <laughs> my initiations are ongoing. And so if they can see a change in me, they can see the way I am with their mother. They can see the way we are as a family. They understand the, uh, the, ver the values that we hold dear to ourselves, not by default, but by conscious decision that we verbalize to them, then it is my hope and prayer that they can follow in those footsteps. If you were to write, actually, I know you do, actually. I was going to say, if you were to write a book of family values, but I think you actually do. You have this, I recall you have this whole um, book of, you'll have to tell me the name, but... The, 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 a book of family values that was true to the whole family, right? What would be the, the titles of the main chapters in that book that you and your family unit hold and instill? Well, the first chapter would have to have to be, who are you really? Who are you really? Because the world is holding up a false mirror. The world gives us a false, uh, a false paradigm and a false narrative on who we are. And the next chapter would be how to be. Who are you? How to be? How to live? And how to die? <laughs> how do you answer those questions? Well, they would have to have sub chapters. <laughs> that's a that's right. yeah right and it's good it, it look i keep thinking about writing another book and yeah. all i can think about is my children you know i think about and when i say my children i think of the young men that i mentor and i think about what i would what i would say to all of them and so maybe this maybe what you're describing maybe what you're asking me about is something that's on its way that sounds like because i know you, you obviously wrote king with Chris and it sounds like the natural evolution is the book of Hulse where it's <laughs> not so grandiose as if King isn't grandiose. Here's the thing in this you phase know, of my life, 
I got, I have to, I have, I have a uh, admission to make. I have to admit to you that I don't know. And, it's, and, and, and that's where I'm at right now. And I don't feel confident enough to put my words in stone. Uh, I've made a lot of videos and I always stand up for who I am and I have no regrets for anything that I say or do. Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is just resistance, hmm. you know, maybe this is part of my resistance, but I'm still figuring it out. I'm only 41 <laughs> I, for me to write the book of hulls. Cause maybe I could write little ones along the way. Sure. I definitely have little ones I could write along the way. There are little pieces that I got figured out, but the book of hulls would have, that would be the compilation. <laughs> I would have to actually, I couldn't write that until I'm a true elder. I would have to have grand, grandchildren yeah. by then. Oh, that will be for my grandchildren. That okay, <laughs> I can I can see that definitely it is. But I wonder, it's like putting something in scripture and writing has a, a sanctity and sacredness. But you know, I it seems like you've been doing and writing this book anyway through videos and blogs over the last twenty years. It's just chapters mm -hmm. of growth and evolution. It seems like you've been doing it. Yeah, I realize that. And so I just allow that to be what it is. And that's yes. why I haven't deleted my channels yet. <laughs> You've thought about that? I've thought about it. Yeah. Is there something there to dig into on, on why you would want to just hit the light switch off on everything? Cause I'm a wild man. Like I said, <laughs> courage. And sometimes my heart is wrong. And so one of the things I've learned being just naturally spontaneous and being a wild man, this might sound crazy to a world full of young men who have a hard time taking action. But for me, it's the opposite. If don't do, don't do it. Don't Ellie, do it. can you say That's that again? Because that you yet. actually, um, you broke up for a second there. Can you say that again? The challenge for me has been not to do things. Got it. I have no problem. I'm a man of action. I have no problem taking action. It doesn't mean that all my action is right, but I get a kick out of taking action. I get a kick out of, creating uh inertia what is it uh momentum mm. uh i like doing stuff and so <laughs> it has been restraint the restraint restraint for me has been a virtue that uh has been lo a long time coming and that i'm learning to develop now so yeah like learning to say no reject things like this for example right like how many people have asked you to come on a podcast right like hundreds, thousands over your time, like, and that's why it's there's extreme gratitude from mine, our part for you doing this. But how do you think about what opportunities to say yes to? What's your framework for how you say no as well? Well, I don't know if I have an official framework. Right? How does a guy who has <laughs> has changed so much, who keeps changing, have a framework? A framework's like an ego, right? Like an ego is like basically a framework. And so, if I were to if I were to measure everything up against this omnipotent, never changing, ever present framework, uh, I, I, it, it, I, I couldn't work. Not for a guy like me. So, a lot of times, I I take it by discernment. I just look at, you know, the situation I'm in and the situation that's being presented to me. And I either, I say, I have to use the moment, you know, I have, I have to use the moment to say yes or say, to, or say no. 
Uh, there's a lot of value in that also, you know, because then it's not premeditated. A lot of times premeditation is, is a form of a framework, right? It's, it comes coming from a framework. It's coming from the ego. So a lot of times I just let, allow the moment to show itself to me, you know? And so you, you made it, you made an offer and you know what? You got me at a time where I was saying, Hey, you know what? It'd be good for me to do some interviews right now because I haven't been making videos. I haven't been speaking to people much. People are probably curious what's going on with me. So the next few requests I get, I'm going to say yes. And that was it. That's the only framework that I use to, to make this decision. But you honored the moment and the, the moment in time and phase you're in. Um, so that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, you know, you've gone through these phases where you'll take pauses and breaks from your distribution of media, if you will, where are you at now? Like, like why did you decide to take a, a break at the moment or not be as active? um, on some of your other platforms. I'm a private guy. Interestingly enough, <laughs> I, I, it's strange as that may sound. I get it. Um, even when it came to me making all those videos, notice when I, my Yo Elliot days mm. and, and just notice my life in general, I, I'm not a vlogger. You see these guys that like walk around with their camera and they showing their kids and their house and their wife and, their, and you know, their whole freaking life is on camera. When I was making all those videos, even when I, you know, come back every once in a while, I make videos, I find one spot and you just see me and you see what I want you to see. And sometimes I don't even want you to see me. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So I like to, I like to, I like to have, I like to hide. I like to have, I like to be away too. Mm. I don't understand. Like, I don't, I'm not knocking them, but like, it, it, it's strange to me, these guys that are ever present on videos like guys they vlog their wife having a baby and the whole time their wife is pregnant and like that's like shit i want to keep private you know uh everything that they do every time they go to the store every mistake they make every success they have everything is on camera and to me that's just too intrusive i want i want i want stuff that's that no not everybody knows i want to be by myself sometimes <laughs> and then there's times where i feel I feel generous hmm. or I feel just, I feel it's time, it's time to, to do this. You know why? Generally it's when I have a new inspiration. It's when something new is bubbling up in me. So like the last batch of videos that I released earlier this year, it was, there's a lot of red pill awareness that I, I've, that I've developed over the past few years. Let me get out there and answer more questions as it relates to intersexual dynamics with women and, that, and what happens when I do that and that's why I have to be very careful when I when I go out to you know on this you know when I bring myself out there on a new topic because it's just going to be another batch of people that don't like what I have to say there's gonna be people that like it but now there's a whole bunch of Elliot Hulse as a, as a misogynist videos out there the whole bunch of videos out there about how Elliot hates women <laughs> yeah. so I had to ask myself prior to making those videos, I had to ask myself am I willing to handle that kind of criticism in that realm. And because I had spent so much time doing the work to support my answers, not just stuff I read, not just stuff I, you know, it sounds good. Like I did the work and I'm, and I'm confident enough in what I have to say, then I'm not going to say anything I regret. And if that's, if I'm coming from that place, then I can handle the criticism. Then it's like, well, I don't really care because I meant every word of what I said. 
has there has there been time i mean i'm sure there has been but do you remember a time that was particularly stands out in your mind where it was the opposite case you ended up regretting it because you didn't do the due diligence and self-reflection and ask the right questions for yourself oh yeah there that's and that's part of the reason why i i started pulling back from youtube videos because i caught myself okay. talking about stuff that I really wasn't convicted of like it wasn't it it wasn't in my heart like what? it was stuff that it was stuff that was in my head so you wouldn't be able to tell by by watching the videos but there was a time where I was answering pretty much the same same kind of questions making yo Elliot videos still answering questions but I had run out of stuff I had run out of insights I had said them all in fact I even said that I was like I don't have anything else to say and I'm going to stop making videos how long can I keep talking about these various things and I knew that I was lacking at that point I had run dry and I'm not the kind of guy like that I and I watch people do it and I I'm in awe of them how they do it they talk about the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, I heard you say that 50 times. And, and that's a great way for a bit to build a business because then you're consistent. And I could have done that. I could have done that, but I felt shallow. So I knew I needed to come away and have some growth. I needed, I need, because most of what I shared, a lot of what I would share, not most, not all of it, but a lot of what I shared would be wisdom. And that's the reason why my videos came off as so authentic because it was like, I'm not just telling you shit that I read. Like I've digested this stuff. Um, then I got to a point where there was, I, I needed more, but I didn't need more information. I needed more wisdom. I needed more experiences. And, uh, I would attempt to come back and make videos, but I knew I was lacking and that I shouldn't have been making them. I was just making them, you know, because it was pleasing to people. I had, you know, business partners that wanted me to do it and people were asking where I am. So I, I would go looking for answers for people rather than pulling them from within. Mm. And you recognized it and you addressed it. I want to go back to a word you said earlier in the conversation, that's freedom. Um, what is freedom to you and how do you think people can find it for themselves? Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword because freedom from also has a freedom to, right? Freedom from prison gives you freedom to roam the streets. See what I'm saying? Mm. So there's no such thing as a total freedom. There's a, there's, there's a movement away, but there's, there's also a movement towards. And the ultimate freedom is the movement towards God because that's where we're going anyway. So as far as freedom is concerned for me, it's a detachment from all that's going to be removed regardless. Doesn't matter, man. It's your, how close that person is to you. Doesn't matter how how dear you hold that thing to yourself, even aspects of yourself, like my body. I, you know, I was so attached to my body because I'm a strong man and I had a good-looking body. Then I started tearing my tendons. So being willing to, to 
everything that is of dust. Part with everything, be fully detached from everything that is fleeting so that there's a freedom to devote oneself, to devote myself to God the Father, who I'll meet when all this blows away. Mm-hmm. Develop that relationship now. People, people want to wait till they die to get right, <laughs> if they're even considering that. Most people aren't even considering it, but if they're considering it, they figure like, well, you know, I'll, I'll get right, uh, right before I die. Well, why not? Start preparing for where you're going now anyway, right? Like that's like a bodybuilder who says, ah, you know what? I'll get ready for the show when the show gets here. Hey, you don't get ready for the show when the show is here, bro. You start preparing for that show a year, a year in advance or longer, right? So that when you get to that day where you meet that judge, right? You're gonna meet the judge. You stand on stage, the judge is gonna be looking at you. He's he can look at you and say, Hell yeah, you did all your work, buddy. I see that you detach from the tasty cakes and the popcorn and the cookies. And I see that you dedicated yourself to that which is higher, sharpening your sword, you know? When you reflect back on this year's something I wanted to ask you after that, on this whole 2020, what do you see and feels the biggest lessons and challenges for you personally? Well, 2020, Mm -hmm. uh, 2020 has definitely shown me that I am not as free from my anger as I thought I was. Hmm. What do you mean by that? It taught me that I'm not as free from my judgment as I thought I was because (laughs) mainly judgment because COVID got people acting crazy. And I'm just, I sit back I'm in, and I'm in awe, but I'm also frustrated with people about how they, how they allow themselves to be pushed around by a hoax. I'm not saying COVID doesn't exist, but the lords of this world are using it as a manipulative tool to pawn this whole planet. And everybody's fault, not everybody. And it also shown me who I could be proud of. Everybody is allowing themselves, they've just shown themselves to be good slaves. And I got a lot of judgment about that. And, and instead of just accepting the world as it is and being detached from it and just saying, you know, that's fine, let them be. Uh, I'm mad at people. <laughs> I'm mad at people. I'm like, why? How do you? Le- how are we letting this happen to ourselves? Why are we allowing this to happen to ourselves? How are we fallen so low that we let this small handful of demonic elites tell us what to do and how to think and what to behave? Where is that that spirit of? You know, I'm American. So we got a lot of this in us. Where is that American spirit? Where is that? Where is that revolutionary? The true revolutionary spirit, not that, not, not that emotional, manipulative social justice revolution. That's all. That's all fabricated, made up by Marxists and their color revolution. I'm talking about true freedom, and and truth. You know, freedom for truth. We've allowed ourselves to be so manipulated. So. COVID exposed to me that I could still be 
pissed off by what people do. <laughs> like, irritated by the world that I'm not as detached as maybe as, as maybe I thought I was. Okay, and I think a lot of people have recognized that there have, there's been a lot of bubbling of emotion and frustration and anger and similar feelings of judgment and emotion that you have experienced. What do you then do with that? Like, where does that go? Do you try and channel that into thoughtful action? Or do you try and leave it as a learning lesson of okay, I, this is an opportunity for me to better control maybe not better learn and control myself like or something else? Well, as much as it exposed that dark side, it pushed me to the light. So I've grown closer to God through this. I've grown deeper in my faith. And so where COVID has shown me just utility of this world, to show me the foolishness of this world, has also shown me, Elliot, you're not of this world. <laughs> Why are you trying to change or to judge or to engage to any great degree with the politics of this fallen world? You're not of this world. You might be in it, but it's just a blip. And so at the same time, it has also shown me that moral courage, moral courage is just as, or maybe more important than physical courage. I have, I have rifles, right? In America, we can we can have guns. I got, all, I have all kinds of rifles. There are people that, you know, right now there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of political tension in America right now, and there are people that will they choose to bear arms. You know, and they they want to they want to go to the Capitol and and storm the White House and you know there's a whole lot of fighting that can go on. I even caught myself like subjecting myself to the news porn and just watching and reading and you know and it's all divisive fear-mongering even the stuff that I that like I side with the side that I side with I side with it but too much because then I get angry and I want to do something about it but then I'm like why am I going to go look for a fight I much rather have the moral courage to allow the fight to come to me the only way you could be strong enough to allow the fight to come to you is to know where you stand. Where are your boundaries? We live in a world, it's so strange. We're so confused. I call it diabolical disorientation. We're so confused that people have no, they really don't even know what they stand for. They're just outraged and they don't even know why. And you ask most people what they stand for and they really have no clue whatsoever. What is, where is the line in the sand that you'll draw? You know, can you even can you even say where the line in the, in the sand that you will draw? Most people do not. They have no idea where that is. They know that something's wrong. They know that they're frustrated. They don't like what's happening. But where will you stand your ground, right? And in that, in that fostering and fortifying those boundaries, I have more of an attitude of, this is another American one though, come and take it. Come and take it, right? I'm not gonna take the war to you. I'm gonna know where I stand. And if you wanna come and take it, then I'm gonna fight you. How do you develop those boundaries? Because a lot of young people do not have that. They haven't established that. I think you learn it a lot through the fire. And when somebody pushes you to an extreme, you learn, okay, that's unacceptable. But 
how do you develop strong, resourceful boundaries? It has to be a new, a supernatural virtue. It can't be, it can't be, it can't be dust boundaries. It can't be aligned in the sand. Like I said before, it has to be fortified by spiritual conviction, you know? So you're not going to trample on my soul. Like, you know, in Braveheart, that movie says, you could take my life, you could take my life, but you'll never take my freedom. Right. That's a supernatural ideal. That's, that is, you know what? I put this boundary here to such a degree, you can kill me. You can kill me, but I will, I will still not submit. I will not bow down. I will not, I will not follow your course. I'm not, I will, what, what is it? Non-compliance. I will just not comply. Kill me. You gotta be willing to die, right? There's a, there's a special place in heaven for martyrs, <laughs> for, for your willingness to lay down your life. And so because we live in a world where we worship the flesh, we worship our comforts. We worship the material world. Uh, we worship ourselves and there's no God. Then when you live that way, you're fearful of losing your life, right? Because that's all there is. I'm not saying don't, don't fight for your life, but I'm saying you gotta be willing to lose your life. You gotta be willing to let go of your life. The only way you can be willing to let go of your life is to, is to, is to have some sense of the afterlife, to have some sense of the divine, some sense of the eternal. So, so what is it that you would lose your life for? Oh, well, I am not taking this RNA altering vaccine. I'll tell you that. I might put the mask on. I haven't put it on yet. I don't wear a mask. I won't wear a mask. I walk in the store and if they want me in the store, I leave. I say, all right, well then send somebody out here to cater to me. But for the most part, I just won't do it. I won't do it. You know why? Because it's a symbol of what's next. It's just baby steps. Mm. It's baby steps. But these baby steps are turning into huge steps now where, look, you asked me about coming to Australia. Yeah. Look, by the time I'm ready to go to Australia, they're going to be requiring that I get their vaccine. They're going to be requiring that I quarantine. They're going to be requiring me to jump through all kinds of inhumane hoops. <sighs> I mean, the, even traveling prior to this, they put, they strip search you. You know when you go into the to those uh, X ray machines, they can see you right down to the hairs on your nuts. And I didn't even I I I didn't like it, but I allowed it. But if they're gonna change, if they're gonna try to alter my DNA and inject me with some uh, experimental uh, concoction, they're gonna have to take my life. That's where I cross the line. What situation would have to arise for you to, is there an, is there a gray area exception for you to how you think about that situation is like, okay, well, I need to see that this thing is safe and it doesn't have side effects or is it not too much about the technicality and more about the idea and, and the symbol that it represents that you are forcing me to get something in order for me to exhibit basic freedoms that I believe I am have a right to? Or is it both, maybe? It's both. Yeah. It's okay. definitely both. Look, um, from what I've researched in terms of what they have in these 
DNAs and these uh, M- uh, vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. They're, it's one step closer to what the elites want, which is transhumanism. It's one step closer to, to reducing our humanity and turning us into robots. But it's gone from psychological operation to which it has always been to a degree also biological operation because they already do it through our food and through the uh, you know climate manipulation and all the kind of shit that they do to to all the the uh, 5G ra- radiation and so they're already biologically manipulating us. Um, but I will not consent to taking the medica- to taking their medication. I'm not going to consent to it because the, the, ultimately I believe this is the last draw, and that we are not just giving up our bodily sovereignty. We're giving away a piece of our soul. When they start manipulating, and which, like I said, it's already been happening, but I think this is the this is the pinnacle. They've been already manipulating our DNA, our you know, and uh, we've already become basically become cyborgs because nobody walks around without their technological appendage right who goes anywhere without their smartphone right they've already pretty much achieved it this is just that final nail in the coffin and uh and before and you're gonna have to put the nail in my literal coffin before you get me to give my soul away i think this is this is where we sell our souls we totally and there's no turning back you sell your soul to satan in this last shot are you what does that concern you that this slippery slope can build momentum in all types of things like where technology is going, whether you look at Elon Musk, Neuralink, or whether you look at like, you know, you've seen the, I assume you've seen the movie iRobot with Will Smith. Like that doesn't seem like a far or too far away, distant future, um, within our lifetime, or at least maybe your children's lifetime. I mean, do you think you'll be, the recluse on the mountain who just wants to detach from it all instead of fully immersing yourself. Like, cause it's kind of clear where this seems to be going. Well, like I said before, it, it's an initiation. Make no mistake about it. What we're going through globally is called, it's a global initiation. Mm. And in order for initiation to take hold, what do you need? You need a community. And I'm not convinced everyone's going to go that way. I don't think I'll be alone. Uh, There is promise of a great persecution that is right around the corner. And there are people that are adamant, religious people, it's mostly religious people, religious people who are adamant about not taking this. Will grow stronger bonds between those who hold the same convictions as me. And look, no, no uh, initiation is complete without a sacrifice. There's always a sacrifice, you know, before I mentioned like, you know, austerity and stuff, there's always a sacrifice. And there will be sacrificial lambs. There will be some of us that have to die for that cause. It's, there's no two ways about it. There's no two ways about it. Uh, do you have the moral courage? That's why I said moral courage before is being super important. Do you have the moral courage to value your life in God more than you value your life in the flesh. These very thought provoking things that I would love to dig into even further. But Elliot, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm enjoying this conversation. Are you okay to keep going a little longer to dig into some other things? Or do you have to uh, head off? 
No, this is good. This is a good brain exercise. Let's keep going. All right, let's do it. Well, you tell me whenever you got to pull it. Um, I wanted, I definitely do want to talk about personal trainer education, like more like nuts and bolts of strength and conditioning. But, you know, before we do, you've talked about not getting too high and not getting too low, but staying emotionally stable and i wonder this year has been a big test for people how do you practice staying more emotionally stable among the chaos of the highs and lows it's the same word man it's detachment okay you got to understand that we're being we're being psychologically and emotionally manipulated all the time constantly we're like we're like lab rats in an experiment and we're being, our hearts and our minds are being tugged at from every which way, both in the natural and in the supernatural. So to trust any thought or any feeling, whether it be elation or depression, is to be attached to diabolical disorientation. And so what we have to do is, look, there's a good reason why stoicism is coming back as a, as a, as a way of life for men. Mm. You know, there's this new surge in, uh, recent surge in, curiosity and interest in stoicism because ultimately that will be the only way for us to maintain our grounding in this world that's throwing us around and you know as far as men are concerned i think the biggest threat to our groundedness is effeminacy and this effeminacy comes in the form of being attachment is our, our attachment to novelty excitement passionate feelings good feelings pornography, sex, thrill seeking, uh, you know, the easiest way to manipulate a people, a culture is by reducing them to sensually stimulated Pavlov dogs. And if you could dumb them down with, with, uh, with hormones of elation, they're very docile, right? Get them, jerking off the porn, get them eating a bunch of sugar, distract them with entertainment and video games, uh, all these things. How do you, okay, how do you integrate that consciously though? Because there's a difference between being kind of indoctrinated and manipulated versus say, Elliot Hulse consciously deciding, I'm going to enjoy this movie or pizza or something that could be perceived as gluttonous, but it's a conscious choice for you to fully experience the joy of whatever that is. Well, you just, you just said it. Okay. Just to be conscious of it. Here's the thing. No longer are these, when my parents were young, you know, they grew up in Belize. Uh, my dad told me, well, my mom told me, my mom told me about the first time she had ice cream. And it was like, wow, what is this? Where'd this come from? Mm. And it was on Christmas. And, she wouldn't get ice cream again because he doesn't have it. She wouldn't get ice cream again until Christmas the next year. And so she looked forward to it. And the way you said, you know, uh, be conscious about enjoying every last bit of it. And she would tell me how, you know, she would take her time and she would just really relish every little taste of this, this ice cream that she would get. Now, there's people that's at Baskin Robin eating 31 flavors 31 days a, a month, mm. every day. They're sucking down 
all kinds of sugary drinks and donuts and ice cream and like that. So the whole point is that if there's, that when pleasure, I just read that St. John Chrysostom said something to the degree that when pleasure becomes the norm, that's when you got to start mortifying yourself. The pleasures can't be the norm. You got to, you have to detach from it. You got to pull yourself away from it. You got to start mortifying your flesh. Otherwise you become a slave to your lust. In an effort to humanize you and make you a bit relatable, what is one of your favorite gluttonous pleasures that you like to consciously engage with? So I stopped drinking alcohol essentially for a while. And then I came back to drinking wine. Hmm. And so, and even that, I allowed that to get out of control and I caught myself. So only on Friday and Saturday, even that's too much. I try to keep saying one week, one day, Friday, but my wife likes it too. And it's kind of a thing that we do together. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, when COVID hit, and we only just started doing it maybe a year ago, we started drinking wine. I don't know. I don't know where we, just, we stopped drinking, but it was like, I think we went, we went to a wine tasting and we're like, wow, this is good. And um, when COVID came, right. And she, we stopped needing to like get the kids to school and you know, all that shit. We started drinking on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Hey, Sunday, still the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right keeps going. and you know for about a month there i recognized like wait a second what's going on and it wasn't even pleasurable for me anymore I, that's when i recognized whoa well, i see what's going on here uh, it's habitual this was i was like I, it was it became like a normal thing and it was no longer pleasurable it was like something we had to have mm. that happened that went for about a month and then I, I i kicked it right there i was like you see what's going on and um and so, you know, I actually look forward to usually just on Fridays, sometimes Saturdays, my wife and I, and here's another thing that we do on Fridays, we go out and we have dinner. You still we do that. Nice we all have a nice dinner that's and we awesome. have a nice bottle of wine. So we got a bottle of wine, we have a nice dinner. And so that's like a pleasurable thing. Sometimes again, like I have to rein it in, you know, cause we're like, if for just, it so happens that we go to, we only go to, we only go to one restaurant. There's <laughs> only one place we really love, but there were times where like, we would have gone like twice or three times in the week. And I'm like, whoa. And my wife will look at me again, like, hey, you wanna go again? I'm like, no, I don't care. I'll just fast today. We are not going uh, because I got to mortify the flesh. Otherwise it starts to lose, it gains more control and loses its pleasure. It starts to, you become a prisoner to it and it no longer satisfies. And then you need more and more and more of it. And it's just like that with everything. So it's like abstinence helps you appreciate the the stimulus of the experience more deeply would you say mm -hmm. yeah absolutely right like if you like video games right contain it yeah just contain it yeah i'm not saying don't play video games right but it's like hey right. give yourself an hour okay. it's just an hour an hour every day whatever it, whatever it may be you know what i'm saying I mean, St. Paul says that all things are lawful for me, but not everything is useful to me. And so there are certain things that there may not be useful, but they're pleasurable, but it doesn't mean you make it your lifestyle. Like ice cream, once in a while, wine, once in a while, I'll be all right. But I think what happens with most of us is 
we can't have it once in a while. If we start, it's a slippery, slippery slope. And there's so many of them. There's so many of these little, little uh, addictions. I call them uh, insidious addictions, hidden addictions uh, that we're not even aware of. Like even the smartphone, you know, like you, you get to the point where like every waking moment that's not occupied with something besides the smartphone, it's a smartphone. And you start catching yourself like, I know this happens to me where I, it loses all its pleasure. I'm like, this sucks. Like I've caught myself like scrolling through Instagram for like five minutes. And I'm like, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. What the fuck am I doing? This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. And I'm looking for something to give me a hit. And it's disgusting. It's sickening to me. And so you got to put it away. Get, mean, away. get away from it. If you just, if we really ask ourselves, when's the last time or how often do you or I really feel, or anybody feels, what do you feel after scrolling through that? How often do you feel good <laughs> after scrolling yeah. through a feed? Uh, it's not often. You don't, you don't. And if you do feel good, it, it's yeah. a fake, it's a, it's a fake feeling of good. Yeah. It's a dopamine hit. Right. It's fake and it's fleeting. And you know, it's a part of the reason people will ask me like, Elliot, you know, why do you stop posting on social media? Like I'll come and I'll go back. I'm like, because the minute I start posting, that's when I start checking. And it's, it's not, it, it's, it's distracting and unsatisfying. I'm drawn to it. Right? It's that, it's that, and you know, they know what they're doing when they're creating these technologies. They're, they're harping on our most base and primal instincts. So there's that, that, that fleshiness in me that just wants to do it. And then I'm just disappointed. Mm. So I just, I, I would much rather just stay away from it completely. Do you, well, have you thought about, oh, that's completely like the option as well, but tools and strategies to manage digital media, well, particularly with your kids growing up, right? That's a tricky one because they're really the first generation to grow up with this plethora of technological access. How do you regulate that as a parent? I'll probably be a future parent. We got a lot of parents and future parents listening. What do you do with that to create those boundaries? Well, the first thing, you know, when my, when my children were very young, we didn't, I didn't have any, the smartphones didn't exist. Yeah. I think, I think the iPhone came out or like around 2010 and that's when my youngest was born, you know, something like that. So we just didn't have them. So it wasn't a thing. And so I wasn't aware of the dangers. I had no clue. I didn't know, you know, I, I was aware of the dangers of television. And so I thought I was doing something good by not having a television in the house, but then I needed a smartphone because I'm on the internet and that's how I make my money. Right. So I rationalized it. I need this. Oh, and look, the kids, they're so cute. Look at them. They're just scrolling with it and they're playing with it. And I thought I was the coolest dad ever. I was like, look, you know, giving my kids and they're playing with it and they're having such a good time. And it made me so happy to see them having a good time with it. Mm. That I just handed my kids the, the devil. And so the first thing now in retrospect, I, I can look back and see what I did. Um, you who don't have kids now, this is my advice to you. Keep it away from them as long as you can, as long as you can. There'll come a point where, of course, 
is there. But if you can keep it away from, and you have to look, you gotta be creative, right? Before there were phones, there were books, there were toys. Kids don't even have toys anymore. They do not play with toys anymore. <laughs> All they need is their damn screen and, and a new app every day. So it's not an easy thing. Well, my advice to you would be keep it away from them as long as you're not depriving them because when they need it, it will be there for them. When they need it and it really makes sense, they can have it. But if you can keep them away from it, as long as you can keep them away from it. Now, you know, I'm already in that quicksand and I got my kids. We have to, and sometimes it's a fight, but we have to draw them away from it by creating. We can't, because I'm not as sexy as an iPhone. I'm not as interesting as the iPad. I'm just not. Mm. My kids don't, they would much rather, and, and a lot of things have lost their glimmer. A lot of the things in the real world have lost their glimmer because the screen is so glimmering. And so I got to create, I can't just tell them, put it down. I can't just say, do, you know, do, like when my dad would say, when I was a kid, we'd watch TV, he'd say, go do something, turn off that TV and go do something else. Well, the TV stayed right there. We were all watching the same one. It was one button and then we we're like, all right, we'll find something to do. Now it's always with them and they all have their own. So I can't just say, put that down. I have to create things for them. So for example, last week we went camping. Well, we're gonna go camping again this month and next month. I take my kids camping about five times a year. When we go camping, there's no screens. You, we, I don't even bring mine. We don't bring them. That's it. If anybody needs us, they know where we are. They got to drive down here and find us. I tell them what campsite we're at, but everybody that needs to know where I am is here right now. There's no screen. So we're out there. We're camping. There's no screen. I got to tell you, this is the first year. My oldest daughter, she didn't want to do it. She was like, no, no. You know, like, you know, like a 16 year old girl, you know, she's a crack addict for this thing. And so I said, all right. You don't want to do it, and you ain't coming with us. So I sent it to my mother's house. They didn't ask for their screens at all. They didn't miss it one bit. They were not bored at all because they found all kinds of great things to do. We got back and we were talking about, you know, the great time that we had, all the little things that we did. And my oldest daughter, came, you know, we picked her up. She was jealous of us. She was jealous. She was jealous. She, she, uh, she regretted not coming because she, I think she realized how empty it is to be on Snapchat all day long. Like, what's the point of that? So now she's like, I'm going to go next time. I'm like, you sure? You sure you're going to go? You know, you can't bring your phone, right? She's like, yes, dad, I want to go. I'm like, all right, good. So you got to create things. You got to, you got to, you got to, that could chop that off, but put them in a space yeah. where they don't miss it, you know? Right. And it shows them there's another piece of this world that maybe you didn't realize and see. And what's interesting is you didn't force your daughter. And a lot of parents, like I know my parents coming from the, the mixed traditional background they are, there's this, oh, you're coming. You're doing it. And sometimes <laughs> you do need to do that, right? But I did that for a couple of years. But you know what we discovered? What? that she just makes us all miserable. Right, there's resentment right. and so anger. So this time, yeah, right. And, you know, she's the oldest one and you know, all the kids are different. The other ones are fine. But she is gonna make sure everybody suffers. She's gonna pout, she's gonna have a bad attitude. She's gonna... So this year I said, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna force you to come yeah. and make us all miserable. Sure. I was like, you come, 
happily without the phone or don't come at all. And so, but then <laughs> it worked in a way because she realized the value of the experience through a voluntary <laughs> abstinence, which I think is this beautiful kind of realization. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, well, that's another conversation. Is there, I'm, I'll just do one. Is there key parenting guidance that you are very thankful that you know now that you would impart on a younger generation or even an earlier version of Elliot and Colleen Hulse? Man, this is going to sound so basic, but in our backwards world, basic stuff sounds brilliant. Key parenting advice, love your wife, stay married. That's huge. That's huge. Having a two-parent home, having a mother and a father is a rare thing these days. To have an original mom and an original dad, an original real family, not some made-up family, is such a blessing. And that in and of itself you know, and I don't care about what argument you make in terms of, you know, that's why I started with love your wife. And like I said, in the Bible, women respect your husband, husband, love your wife. It, there's, there's, you got to do that for it to work out. Um, that alone makes your family statistically more stable and able to rear healthy children. All of the kids, you know, we had this, you know, back when they wanted to, they still do, but when uh, the Democrats were in power in the United States, you know, the, one of the things they love to do, they want to take our guns away. So back then there were school shootings every other week. It was a huge thing during Obama's reign. There was all these school shootings. All of a sudden it's not anymore. Uh, but the reason why, or, or uh, one thing that was understood about all these school shootings, they were done by boys that were raised by single mothers. The obesity rate goes up, depression goes up, crime goes up, all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems in children are resolved simply by having a mother and father that love each other. <laughs> right. Mind blowing, right. but it's so rare. It's mm. so rare. I think that's, and but let's get to the root cause. Like, I mean, one of the root causes, like twist how do then we establish strong respectful bonds and connections with our significant other our, our wife our husband but before they even become our wife and husband establishing a strong healthy relationship that can prosper and be nourished and then nourish your family Like, well, look, when Antonio Gramsci and John Lucas, the creators of cultural Marxism, intended to spread the errors of Russia, communism in the West, which ultimately their stated, their stated goal was to subvert and destroy the West. One of the things, two main things they knew had to happen and it's stated in their statements Dechristianize the west basically take god get god out, get god out of the way because if god's out of the way then they're more then the state becomes the god 
and destroy the family. So we have, eight, we have communism that brings us atheism, that brings us feminism. 90% of the divorces in America are from women. Feminism comes to us by way of a godless world where the state becomes our God. So you wanna know the root causes. <laughs> I'm going back to the Bolshevik revolution. I'm going way back to you know, what, 18, 19 or some shit like that. Okay. So we've been totally subverted. Our culture has been totally destroyed. Uh, we've removed the father, God the father from our lives and we removed the father from the homes. Until we make an atonement with, remember when I talked about initiation, ultimately there needs to be a return to the father. Until we return fathers and the father, we're gonna be, we're gonna fall apart because then there's no order. I think you provide many, you've identified many root cause reasons through this conversation, which I think is really important. And in an effort to not make this a long ass conversation, which it could easily turn into, um, I want to shift over to some other questions that I was curious about. What's one noteworthy problem or challenge that's made you feel completely powerless? And how did you manage to overcome it? Well, I mean, I am powerless. I do feel powerless. I'm not in control. I'm not in, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't even have an aim to change the world. It's not my job to change the world. When I say I'm powerless, it's not up to me to change the course of history, but it is in my power to speak up. That's really what, you know, the, they, that's why uh, they say the pen is more is mightier than the sword. So I feel powerless. I feel totally powerless to how weak men are becoming, right? Look at the food that we eat that turns us into women, all the estrogen in our food, estrogen in our water, xenoestrogens, phytoestrogens, plastics, all that shit that has us with estrogen levels higher than middle-aged women and testosterone levels are dropping precipitously. Uh, families no longer work. People are not having families anymore. People aren't making babies anymore. Marriage doesn't work out. Uh, men are addicted to pornography and video games and have no virtue and no value anymore. Women have picked up their penises and acting like men and they think that they can do better than men and the things that men do. And we live in a social justice uh, cancel culture world where the victim is the victor and anything strong sounds toxic. It's a diabolically backwards world. This world is owned and run by Satan and he's older and much smarter than I will ever be. You just look at what's going on in, in the government right now in the United States with this election fraud. You know, the guy who most Americans, a lot of, a lot of Americans, mostly men, uh, but a lot of women, uh, mostly strong people, put their, they projected their king upon Donald Trump. And even him right now, you know, as tough as a man as he is, and he's a tough man, he's, he's fighting, he's fighting off these demons. And they'll do anything. They'll do anything to maintain power over you. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal. That's what Satan is from the beginning. He was the liar from the beginning. He was the first one he lied to, Eve. 
because he knew that if he perverted the woman that the man would fall down too. So it's, it, it's, this is the story of mankind. This is our fallen nature. This is the world we live in. And so it's about the state of the world. I say the only thing I can do, and the only thing I'm really uh, charged with doing, the only thing that God expects of me is the salvation and sanctification of my soul and likewise for those who are willing to hear. But you pointed out what well, sounds like you, you may feel powerless in, in a macro environment because there are other powers that may be well beyond your direct control or influence. However, you can control Elliot Holes. You can control who you be and how you behave. And does that give you a sense of calmness or, or maybe maybe perceived power that you can control yourself which can then influence those around you yeah you know it's, i think it was uh who's the guy that wrote man's search for meaning victor, victor frankel, frankel said, yeah. you know yeah. the only thing that you can control is your attitude you can't control the circumstances mm -hmm. You know, I can't even, I'm not even in control of my life. I used to fool myself and think that I was in control of my life. The only thing I really am somewhat in control of is my attitude about what's going on. What's going to happen is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me today. Uh, a, a, a comet could fall on top of my roof of my house. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's my attitude about it. And that's really, that's a choice. That's a choice of the heart and the, and the, and the, and the will and the mind. And so I can will myself, I can rationalize, and I can temper the flame of my heart and bring it into alignment with truth. And that is, all this is dust. It's all passing away anyway. Do not be too attached. Is there anything, you know, because that the, I know you recognize, you identify with this fleeting nature of life, and that reflects mortality, but is, is there anything you would trade a year of your life for? I'm not there yet. <laughs> Anything I would shame. Look, at some point, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to trade all the days of my life. Yes. To meet my maker. Yes. And I would trade. I would trade. Would you say a year of my life? I would trade a year of my life to ensure that I get to ascend up instead of descend down. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Only the judge knows, right? I, I'm trying my best. But um, I would love to live eternity with my father. And I would not want to live it any longer with the father of this world. <laughs> well, that's a very, that's a very Elliot Hulse answer right there. Um, every day you, I think now people, you're, I think I imagine your habits have changed over the years um as you've gone through different phases of transformation like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation um you know they say habits are a sign of uh what is it like, habits are a sign of like a dutiful um diligent man what are the non-negotiable habits that elliot hulse performs on a consistent daily weekly recurrent basis that keep you on your path? 
Wow, it reminds me, um, I started listening to a book this morning uh, by St. John of the Cross. It's called The Dark Night of the Soul. And uh, in it, he talks about levels of spirituality. And he talks about when you're a novice, you know, you're a baby in spirituality, you need training wheels. And if you don't have those training wheels, you, 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 you'll fall off. You, you, you fall off the bike too many times, you can lose courage. Uh, you're more susceptible to falling. And I'm a baby. I'm a baby in this. And I'm grateful for the fact that the Catholic Church has training wheels for me. It has the sacraments. And um, and it's really what I needed. And I'm happy that I have it. And that means every day, every day I can go and receive the Eucharist. I can go to mass every morning and I can meet my maker and partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Every day I get to perform a ritual in that sacred space in order to remind me and to bind me closer to, my, to God the Father. Uh, not everybody, maybe not everybody needs that, right? Maybe some people, but I recognize something about myself that I need daily, I need daily. And I pray the rosary, I pray the rosary every day. I tried, I tried, you know, when COVID first started, I fell off because they closed the churches. And you know what happened? That's when my soul started darkening. That's when I started drinking wine, <laughs> right? My soul started to darken and I didn't eat. And then when the, when the churches opened back up, I didn't even want to go because my soul had been so darkened by, by falling and staying fallen because I lost my training wheels. So the way I see it at this point in my life right now, who knows what it'll be a year from now, 10 years from now. Um, those are the two things that keep me on my path. I pray and I participate in the sacrifice of the mass. Is there anything, because I know that's quite recent for you in the last, you know, year, years, but is there anything maybe related to your business tactically, health, wellness, um, other habits that you have maintained over the years that you, you also come to mind that you would like to mention? I lift, I lift, bro. I lift four days a week. Yeah, I love lifting. Today's my day off and I miss it. I like lifting, man. I like lifting weights. Uh, I've had quite a bit of injuries over abusing myself for the few years. So uh, mobility and uh, flexibility work, you know, working my joints and maintaining the strength of my body, uh, you know, and, and everything that goes along with that, because that's, that's a whole process. You know, I'm, you see me drinking this water, drinking tons of water. All I drink is water every day. Take my supplements, man, my fish oil and my collagen and whey protein, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, that's what I do. I start taking creatine again because I'm like, you know what? I can get huge. It's just a gift. One of the things that, you know, I, I fool myself and I think some of us do this. I know I do. I fool myself into thinking that like my gifts aren't good enough. I need to go find another gift or I need to develop some other gift. I'm like, wait a second. God gave me the gift of brutality. I'm a freaking brute. I can lift. I can get huge. I'm like, why am I, why am I not doing it? So I lift. I get stronger. I build muscle, uh, I get to sleep. I go to sleep 8.30, 9 o'clock every night. We don't stay up late. 
I'm up at five o'clock. That clock, as soon as I mean, I'm usually up before it goes off. But as soon as that alarm clock gets up, I don't even like this morning. I wanted to put my head back down on the pillow, but I don't. I get I get up, I get praying, and I get to mass. So sleeping patterns, sleeping habits, eating, training. Um, as far as business is concerned, man, that's like <laughs> that's the stuff I do grudgingly. I'm, this is the most grudging, and and I'm grateful for the fact that I have a great team. I have great partners. They don't put too much pressure on me. If I feel like working, great. We make money. If I don't feel like working, well, you know, it's gonna be a tough month. Uh, but I do it because it puts food on the table. Um, <laughs> I don't have I don't have the I don't have the the hunger for it like I used to when I was when I was broke and destitute. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a wealthy man, but I got a roof over my head and I, and I earn enough to put food on the table and have a nice life for my children. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I, don't, I don't try to make it, I'm not, I don't wanna be an empire. You know, these people say, like, oh, you build it. They even say this to me. They're like, oh, you have an empire. Like, I don't have no empire, man. I don't want no empire. I have no interest in being an emperor. <laughs> right now I'm in monk mode, I just, right? And so I do the bare minimum. You know, I got to make a few Instagram stories. And, you know, I, even my partner, one of my partners hit me up yesterday. He's like, yo, e, you haven't made any stories in two weeks. I'm like, ah, all right, I'll do it. You know, I do it because it's my job. Uh, but I have no, I have no real true allegiance to it. Now I do have a group of men that I mentor and, uh, and the, you know, my, the work that I do on social media brings men in to my mentorship program. And that I have a, a, a great thirst for, I love doing it. And it's just one day a week on Thursdays, I do, you know, about four hours, sometimes six hours of live Q and A. I make video courses for them and distribute it to them. And that's it. I just tend to my flock, you know. It's interesting you noted that, well, yeah, you're not broke and destitute like you were. And, um, you know, so this this big drive and hunger to play this game of, of business and wealth acquirement is not as strong. Um, do you find you're at this equilibrium price, place where you, you know, you're just maintaining, you're not looking to acquire more. You're not looking to upgrade your lifestyle or your tax bracket again. You're good, would you say? Yeah, I don't want it, bro. I don't want anything. I do not want anything. And it was a little, it was a little disheartening for me when I finally bought this house because that's all I really wanted. You know, I have four children, and I wanted to give them, a, I want to give them a nice house like the one I grew up in that my parents provided me with. Each kid has their own bedroom, and I really, after that, I started seeking. I started looking like, what do I want next? What am I gonna do? And at first, I was a little disappointed in myself because I was like, well, it, I don't really want anything else. And then I began to settle into it. And I was like, wait a second. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. That is so free. Yeah. And actually, in fact, I can't wait to have less. Right. Like I just, you know, I, I, I have what I have because I'm a father. I have what I have because I have children and I'm building a foundation for them and creating a life for them. But I don't want anything. I don't want anything else. <laughs> no, but it's, it's such a powerful feeling because materially you can always keep going. You can always get more, 
right? <laughs> but knowing when to just pause and stop and when the game is enough mm -hmm. in the material world, I think is so valuable because the difference is the self-actualization character transformation doesn't stop. Like that's the game I believe to continue playing and I see you continue playing, but the material game, well, once you've ticked the basic boxes that you need to tick, well, maybe you don't need to keep playing on the rat race and getting on that treadmill. Yeah, we need very little, very little. What, what else could I possibly want, right? Expensive watches. I don't get it. What do people want? Expensive shoes? And, you know, I, I drive a pickup truck. You know, I tricked myself. And, you know, when I first, when I bought the house, uh, you know, I, I was like, well, now I got to get a fancy car. And I, I bought a Tesla. I was so dumb. I had it for a year. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I can't even, I have a house now. I can't even do yard work because I, I have to rent a truck to carry stuff. So I sold that and I, I paid off, I paid off a truck and I just drive my truck, man. I'm going to drive that truck till it runs into the ground. Never going to get another car. Why would I? So it's just slavery too, you know, getting another bill. Uh, I can't think of a single thing that I want, man. That's a, oh, there's a, there's a stoicism quote I'm forgetting now, but, um, yeah, maybe if I pull it up, if I remember, but yeah, that's, it's a beautiful detachment. Um, you were talking about your health and wellness before. Is there, are you, what phase are you in now? You know, you're trying to get, you talked about how I'm going to honor my gifts. Um, are you working on anything right now? Cause you, I know you haven't really talked about any much in the last year, you know, at least since you were 40, where you had that really big drive to transform yourself. Where is the next phase of Elliot Hulse entering? <laughs> That's so crazy because, yeah, when I turned 40, I started fasting. Yes. I fasted for my 40th birthday and I was like skin and bones. Yeah, you got crazy. ripped. Uh, I, you know, do you, I don't know if you remember 2008, Elliot, but I was like, was round. Thick boy. Fluffy. Yeah. yeah. I got a couple, I have a couple of t shirts that I might fit into again if I get that big. Okay. <laughs> I probably won't get that huge, but I'm like, I'm just letting myself get fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting fat and swole. Like I'm lifting, like I'm getting, I'm eating a lot of carbs and you know, carbs make me fat, but they also puff up my muscles. That's just where I am right now. I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna lift and see how much meat I could pack on. And if I get too fat, you know, I'll back off a little bit, but like, for a while, I was obsessed with my waistline. Yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? And, you know, I wasn't for a long time. That's how I got to be so powerful as a strong man. I didn't care about my waistline. Who cares about my waistline? Um, but then when I started getting fanny, uh, you know, uh, famous on YouTube, it was like, oh, now, nah, you know, I got to take my shirt off and, you know, be. Uh, but like this year, I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, you could say, let yourself go. It's not necessarily that I'm letting myself go, but I'm allowing myself just to be big. Yeah. And so that means, you know, I can't just eat and don't lift. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I eat so that I can lift big, eat big, lift big. And so I'm doing it. It's fun. That's all. But it's, yeah, but it's a conscious choice. It's not letting go. It's, it's allowing it. Like you said, um, I wonder though, how do you practice? It's again, detachment, detachment from the idea that, well, I take my shirt off and I got to be this ripped, super lean, jacked representation of 
excellence in that way. But then I know that's something I'm resonating with right now, but I also recognize the trap of it because, well, there's going to be a phase where maybe I just don't have to record every single thing and measure myself every single day and be in a deficit and this, that, and the other. Like, how do you just interface with both that can become so tricky? You can't interface with both, man. That's why I'm, I say I'm an extremist. It's one or the other. I'm either all in or all out. When I fasted, bro, I didn't eat for days, days and days on end. Longest I went was 10 days. Think about that. 10 days, no food. I'm an extremist. I went I went hard. So it's it, for me, it's hot or cold. You know, in Revelations, it says you, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, so I spit you out. Me, I'm either hot or I'm cold, both ways, one way or the other. So uh, I don't think about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, first of all, I don't take my shirt off and look at my body like that anymore. You know, like there was a time when I, all I could do is take off my shirt, and look at my body. Cause every time I make a video, there I am. And you know, I would have people telling me about the way I look. I'll be judging the way I look. I don't even take my shirt off anymore. Like, why would I need to take my shirt off? I take my shirt off to take a shower and to, and that's it. You know, I have my shirt on. I go to the beach <laughs> and maybe this is a shame thing, but I just actually feel comfortable. I go to the beach and I go on, I went in the water and I just keep my shirt on. <laughs> that's surprising to hear from you. Yeah. And my wife, she was laughing at me. She's like, I've never seen you keep your shirt on. I was like, yeah, I just, I just, I just want to, I don't know. Maybe it is shame and I'm not facing it. Well, let me but say, at the same time, I'm like, I just don't give a shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm right. just gonna keep my shirt on. I don't want to be, I don't want to be naked. That's the other thing too. Like, you know, we, we hold women in, in various cultures, not so much in our culture any longer, but it has always been a virtue for a woman to dress with modesty. Right. You know, I don't, I don't like it when my daughters, uh, you know, are, are, are flaunting their flesh and, you know, advertising their skin. I'm like, that's not cool. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think that's cool for guys either because the same way women become overly obsessed with their bodies because of the Barbie doll, men, we become overly obsessed with our bodies because of, you know, bodybuilding magazines yes. and, 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 uh, and Instagram and comparing ourselves to these other guys. And, you know, maybe the girls are looking at Barbie dolls and wishing they looked that way, but, Look at the action figures, you know, look at the look, look at the characters in the video games. They all look like bodybuilders. And so at the same in the same way, we become overly obsessed with our own uh, our own image. And I kind of I kind of I'm I'm older than you. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's kind of an older guy thing. You get to a point where you just yeah. like, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, but I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in being sexy. <laughs> right. It, it, so it sounds like it's not something, this detachment from image is not something you practice, but it's something that just became as a result of a wisdom and maturity and age. Or is that, would you say that or no? Maybe, or maybe it's a phase. Maybe, maybe 10 years from now, I'm going to decide to bodybuild again. I don't know. That's, that's very true. Life is phases and seasons. And um, yeah, this is where I'm at right now. To round out the conversation, Elliot, um, I want to talk about coaches. You know, it's, it's kind of, I've been selfishly 
diving into so many of these moral philosophical topics that are curious to me. But at the end of the day, Orphic Education, what we do is like we work with personal trainers and coaches and train them and deliver that education to them. So for them, when you think about the best characteristics or the characteristics that make up the best coaches and health practitioners, what are they to you? You broke up for a second. What was the word you used? When I think about the best, what? Characteristics that make up the best coaches and health professionals. What are they? Oh, well, you got to make yourself an experiment. You got to make an experiment of yourself. In other words, you are, you are the billboard. You are the laboratory. You are it. People come to you because you got something that they want and you should be able to demonstrate that you got what they want, right? So if you're a strength coach, well, you ought to be strong, buddy. And we got a lot of these pencil neck strength coaches out there who, you know, they, they tout their scientific discoveries, but at the same time, it's like, but bro, you're weak, <laughs> you know? And it doesn't necessarily mean compare yourself to the to professional powerlifter, but like, are you striving for and working on, you know, sometimes the best coaches are the ones that lack because they got to work so hard for that thing. But are you strong relative, you know, relatively speaking? You know, some of the best fat loss, fat loss coaches are guys that were obese because they had to work so hard to burn all that fat. You know, they had to lose all that fat, 300 pounds or whatever it may be. So the worst thing, you know, and I want to use this example because, you know, it's outside of fitness, but it'll make sense. It's like, why would you want to go to a dentist with rotten teeth, mm -hmm. right? You got to be the thing. You got to be the thing that people want. You got to demonstrate instead of, uh, you know, uh, explain. It's better to demonstrate. And you know that as a coach, right? If you're trying to teach somebody an exercise. You could talk to your blue in the face about how to do this exercise, but you know you got to demonstrate. Here's how you do it. Look at me. Watch me. This is how it's done. So that's, I would say that that's paramount. I deeply resonate with that now. Um, is there anything, if you would label maybe one or two more things, is there any other characteristics that come to mind? Or that's the main one you want to touch on? Well, there, there are some auxiliary ones. Um, but I want to stick with that because, you know, okay. that's who you are. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, who you're being is more important than what you say, even what you, you know, what you do, because what you do is secondary, you know, it comes from who you're being. Um, so I'm gonna leave it at that, right? It's about who you're being. And I think a coach, I think the greatest profession in the world is to be a coach. Because what I like to say, you know, I have my program, I call it King. And I say that coaches are Kings because the only way you can bestow the blessings upon someone as a king is to have your kingdom in order. That's the only way it works. You can't, the kingdom can't, the king can't be disordered and the kingdom be in order. And so you gotta, it's a twofold situation. It's like you have to be in order yourself in order to support other people's coming into order, you know? So I think it's, that's the way to be, is to be at you, be it first and then you can give it. No, there's that Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that you used um, in the past that who you are sp uh, speak so loud that the world can't hear a word you're saying. And <laughs> I think that's such a perfect representation of being the part instead of talking the part. And 
to move on in all your experience over the decades what's some of the worst advice you see being given to coaches and personal trainers and health professionals well I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the worst advice is. You know, I would say the worst advice would be any advice that comes from a disingenuous place. Okay. You know, like I said before, I gave, I was, I started making YouTube videos. I continued making YouTube videos when I knew that I lacked the wisdom to be speaking on the topics that I was. So anything that's disingenuous, you know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're trying to tell, if you're telling somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself, you know, that's, that's disingenuous. If you're giving somebody advice on some shit you really know nothing about, that's disingenuous. So it really a matter of like, where is you, where is it coming from? You know, uh, wanting it more than they want it. That's another bad place to come from. You know, a lot of times, especially as, you know, as a strength coach, uh, a lot of times, like I want, I want this kid to be, I can see he can be something, but he don't have the drive. And then like, you know, as a coach, trainer, a client, they're like, you know, they can get there, they can do it, but you want it more than they want it. It's, a, it's another trap. It's another bad place to come from. And it's a quick, quick road to, you know, losing yourself. They call it the caretaker's dilemma where you start caring for other people more than they care for themselves. Mm. And that's a bad, bad place to go. If you could go back and tell your, a young Elliot Hulse personal trainer or even just early personal trainers just beginning their journey, early coaches just beginning their journey, like, and you could speak to them all. What's the message and general advice and lesson that you would want to impart to them before they begin? Well, it wouldn't be any different than everything I just said there. I would encourage him okay. by letting him know that I truly believe that to be a coach is to be a king. And it's the, it, it's the highest calling. It really is the highest calling, regardless of what you what title you give it. But the calling is to be the strongest version of yourself and to empower others through you through that. You know, being the living example. I mean, uh, it's self-sacrifice. Uh, it's 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 good noble work. It's good work, and I would encourage him. I would encourage him to keep going for it. Uh, you know the 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 way you do it. You know it depends. You know either you can. There's many different roads. I'm not saying there's one right way in terms of fitness and stuff. But uh, it's a worthy endeavor. So that would be it. You know, okay. I, I would, my words of wisdom would be encouragement. I'd say you're doing the best thing that you could do, man. It's a great profession. Last question, Elliot, a more philosophical one. What would you want to read on your tombstone? What? Okay, I know. I, I think I can. <laughs> What I, do you think know. people would write then? <laughs> you know, man, that's something that I used to care about or think about or make something up about. Yeah. But just yeah. like to be completely honest, man. Please. Like, I, he, I'm going to be a little, see, it sounds like I'm being pious, but I'm going to be a little narcissistic here for a moment. Okay. I think when you write Elliot Hulse, 
on that tombstone, you said enough. <laughs> That's all it needs to say. Google the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll say. Elliot Hulse, Google it. Oh, man. Who you are speaks so loud that the world can't hear a word you're saying. So, Elliot Hulse is enough. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Elliot Hulse, it's a real pleasure and honor to speak to you. And um, I'll share this to finish off. This is instigated, I believe, by you, actually, in combination with others. I have nine, 18 photos, black and white photos of different men that have inspired me to be who I am today, right? I believe we're an amalgamation of not just our parents, but our environment. And you are one of 18 to 20 who I resonate deeply with over the years. And you sit upon those men that I have positioned in my home, that I look upon when I go through my morning rituals every day and pay thanks and gratitude with. And I think it is only right for me to at least let you know that your influence on the world, and at least me, has uh, been significant and meaningful on me finding my own path as one of those, being one of those many men um, and playing that role. So. I uh, thank you, and I'm very grateful for you. Well, I'm honored. <laughs> Elliot, is there anything you would like to finish with? Any last comments, thoughts, parting thoughts, excitements for the next year? Anything you want to share before we head off? No, I would just say that I enjoyed this. You're you're a good uh, interviewer, and I had fun speaking with you. I, I really appreciate that. I hope we can do this. Well, I'll ask. If you're ever in Melbourne or Australia in the future, would you like to do this in person? Yes, that would be great. Done. Elliot Hulse, thank you for the time. Enjoy the evening with your family. And I'll see you Thanks. when I see you. Thank you, buddy. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Elliot Hulse. He was very generous with his time. And look, we talked about a lot of different philosophical, moral, psychological topics. And um, I know for sure that many of the things he mentioned, people may stimulate emotional reactions from. Understand that there is nuance and context behind every controversial statement that is made by any person, right? So I would encourage you to dive into some of these previous videos if you want to understand some of the context behind it, which we weren't always um, able to dive into as deeply with the limitation of a two-hour conversation, but I did my best to cover a wide berth of different topics and questions I wanted to ask him um, in a way where I could honor the curiosity and natural flow of the conversation, but also splice in just some really interesting questions that I personally uh, enjoy asking. And so, that's it guys i hope you enjoyed this this amazing conversation that i was very grateful to have with arguably you know the the one of the uh, most influential people we've ever spoken to and i've ever spoken to and um if you want to know about who we are 
We've spoken to so many different people and different health professionals on the Orphic podcast. And um, if you guys are based in Australia and are looking to do short or around the world and looking to do short courses on health and wellness, fitness, education, or you want to become a, a personal trainer in Australia, then, you know, we may be right fit for you. You can find us on orphiceducation.com. I'm Alexander Emmanuel Sandalis. You can find me and my other podcast I do and everything else um, on all social media by searching my name. Grateful for you guys listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.